0: Our image for this series is Daniel in the Lion's Den, an illustration of people trying to take control and who's actually in control. Henry Tanner was very young when he decided to become a painter, but his fellow classmates were not confident of his choice. These were the first generation of free blacks after the Civil War. Tanner's mother had been a slave. This generation was told, become a teacher, lawyer, doctor, or clergy. His classmates told him, artists die poor in someone's attic. Yet somehow, Henry Tanner had a confidence in something unseen. Think for a moment. In what do you have confidence? At this time, it's probably not a politician. In our passage today, Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn confidence. He is starting or continuing his shift from self-confidence to confidence in the God of Daniel the God of the heavens, the revealer of mysteries, because he will find that only God is sure. Let's start in Daniel three nineteen through 23. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his armies to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men, in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and and other clothes, were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. The first thing Nebuchadnezzar has confidence is is in confidence of death. The scriptures portray Nebuchadnezzar's emotions changing through the story. The first emotion he shifts to is rage. This was supposed to be a proud day for Nebuchadnezzar. His great golden statue is being dedicated, but these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are ruining his day by not bowing down in worship. So now he's enraged. The word rage literally means his image changed. Everyone could see it on his face that he had gone from happy to angry. This transformation is poetic. In Daniel chapter two, God gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision of an image, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay, that meant the world would change. New kingdoms would arise, and in the end, God would rule over the whole earth. Nebuchadnezzar then made an image of all gold, meaning that nothing would change. Babylonian rule will last forever. Now faced with the followers of God, Nebuchadnezzar's image changes, not the statue, but himself. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow to his image, he has them heat the furnace seven times hotter. We don't know what the baseline is, so seven times hotter than what? It's at least seven times hotter than whatever the normal execution temperature would be. He's saying take the fire up to the maximum, or perhaps beyond. Babylonian furnaces could run as hot as 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the same as a modern crematorium. Nebuchadnezzar is not looking to torture Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wants to utterly destroy them. He doesn't strip them naked, but they will be thrown in with all their fancy clothes on. So this is not about humiliating them. He wants to destroy every trace of them. He will immolate them to ash and smoke. Burning meat this way is one way of sacrificing to a god. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow, then they will be sacrificed. Nebuchadnezzar is taking no chances. He has these three men tied up, and he uses his strongest soldiers to do it. He made sure the fire was so hot that the strong soldiers that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace died by fire in the process. And then The three men were thrown in. There was no escape. Nebuchadnezzar had executed people by fire before, and now people just in proximity to this fire are dying. Nebuchadnezzar is confident of death. Depending on our age and health, we don't often think about death. When I had surgery, I wasn't worried about dying. I spent most of my time thinking about how I would work through my recovery, which was probably healthy for me. I had been running for six months and was in the best shape I had been since I was in my 20s. I had the doctor with the most experience. He was using the Da Vinci robot, a tool so precise that it can slice the skin off a grape and suture it back on. I was totally at peace about living until the anesthesiologist came in to talk to me right before surgery. The anesthesiologist said very casually, We're going to put you under, and the anesthesia is going to stop your brain, so we're going to breathe for you. All I heard was, stop my brain. On the physical side of things, I think I need three things to be working to be alive. My heart, my lungs, and my brain. I thought, removing my prostate shouldn't require shutting off my brain. Brain up here, prostate down here. When they started the anesthesia and wheeling me off to surgery, they told my wife, you go through that door over there and we'll take him through these doors. And my wife replied, I'd like to walk with him to those doors. And they replied, he's going to be out before we get to those doors. Now, I started to go to sleep, but then I had to go to the bathroom. So I started lifting myself up to a seated position on the bed. The medical people all started saying, lay down, lay down. I think they might have been pushing on my shoulders. I'm not sure. And I said to them, I have to go pee. I want to go to the bathroom before I go to surgery. And the nurse said to me, your surgery is over. Lay down. So I laid down. I didn't die. I didn't even know I had been asleep for two to three hours. I've had asthma attacks so bad that I've had to be admitted to the hospital. I've been in a car hit by a drunk driver in a half-ton pickup truck that flipped our car over. I've bungee jumped. All of those things, or actually some of those things, were scary. But I never thought I might die until that anesthesiologist said he was going to turn my brain off. Nebuchadnezzar was right. Death is certain. According to Genesis, the first lie humans believed is that death is not certain. Genesis 3, 1-4 through 4 says... Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. And then the woman eats the fruit, and the man eats the fruit, and they die. They don't physically drop dead, but they are immediately separated from God, the source and creator of life, and from the tree of life, one of God's means of imparting life to humanity. Later in Exodus 11, 4, and 9, Moses says, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Um, he's going to kill the firstborn. But Pharaoh will not listen. You know, Pharaoh didn't have any confidence in the words of Moses or Moses' God, and the firstborns of all Egypt died. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, because of sin, one thing that we can be confident in is death. It's going to happen. I admit... Being instructed to have confidence in death is probably not what you came to hear today. You either already knew that or didn't want to know it. And that's why we're not going to end the story there. Daniel 3, 24 through 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they said to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. Nebuchadnezzar began with confidence of death. Now he has confidence of life. His second emotion is alarm. Nebuchadnezzar has gone from being angry to quickly confused and afraid. He, like probably most people, make death the ultimate surety, but now he sees life is more sure than death. Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fire and says, we threw three guys in there, right? And the answer is, of course. The soldiers died, but they weren't put in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar then says, well, if that's true, how come I see four people in there, not dead, and one of them looks divine. I thought it was interesting that the text doesn't say that that anyone else other than Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth person. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know who the fourth person is, but he's confident of two things. One, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are alive because they're walking around in the fire, and two, they serve the Most High God because they are untied and walking around in the fire with somebody who looks like a God. He's so confident that they are alive, he tells them to come out of the furnace, and they do it. You know, this makes me think, what did Jesus see that no one else could see when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Jesus knew and saw and smelled that Lazarus was dead, but Jesus was also confident that life is stronger than death. In Minnesota, we believe three things are certain. Death, taxes, taxes, and when Charlie Brown goes to kick that football, Lucy will pull it away. Be confident. Death is certain, but life is more certain. In Matthew seventeen twenty-two through 23, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and tells them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up. And they, the disciples, were deeply distressed. The disciples heard the first part, Jesus is going to die. But they seem to miss the second part, Jesus is going to live. I'm confident of death, but I'm more confident of life because Jesus died for me and Jesus is alive for me. So things are getting better, better here. We've moved from death to life. But there's an even higher level of confidence I can get to. And that's Daniel 3, 27 through 30. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I issue a decree that if any one of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other god who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon." The final level of confidence greater than death and greater than life is confidence in God. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm using their Israelite names because they are servants of God. These men came out of the furnace in view of everyone. The satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors. And that's not even including all the musicians. Everyone sees that the only thing that is gone are the ropes they were tied with. Lazarus even came out of the tomb wrapped in his death shroud. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah come out in all their fine clothes. Their clothes are not burned, not a hair on their head is even singed. They don't even smell like smoke. Now we have Nebuchadnezzar's third emotion. He's gone from rage to alarm to praise. He seems to understand that the reason there is confidence in this life is because God is the source of life. Ancient religions, and even some modern ones, have deities of life, often a fertility or mother goddess, and a god of death. The two are balanced. However, God is sure because he is the god of life, and if he takes away his life, what remains? Death. Nebuchadnezzar gives praise to the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he protected them from certain death, giving them life. And Nebuchadnezzar fears this God because he commands that nobody say anything offensive against their God. You don't want to offend the God of life and death. If anyone offends the God of life and death, Nebuchadnezzar will make sure that person dies. He's going to have them dismembered and their house made into a garbage dump. This is the same punishment that Daniel has just saved all the wise men of Babylon from when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. A garbage dump would be where they burn trash. So they're they're still going to burn them, but he wants to make sure they are fully dead so he will have them dismembered and then burned. Confidence has to go back to a source. Now, I sat in this chair today without really thinking about it. I was confident that it would hold me, not just because I've sat in it before. Ultimately, when I consider my confidence in this chair, it goes back to the people behind the manufacturing of the chair. Do I believe they use quality materials? Do I believe someone assembled it correctly? Do I believe that nobody left it outside all winter or otherwise damaged it? My confidence is not in the chair, it's in the people behind the chair. In the same way, although I'm confident of death and more confident of life, the reason I have those confidences is because I'm confident in the God of life and death. Jesus said in Revelation 1:17 and 18, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'm confident because God is sure. Now, I don't say this to sound flippant or uncaring or unconcerned, but there are some things I don't worry about. I don't worry about COVID-19 or any illness. I don't worry about the economy. I don't worry about who's president. I don't worry about race relations in the United States. I certainly do what I can to stay healthy, to keep myself and others employed, to have quality leaders, and to work in the ministry of reconciliation. But I can't count on any of those things coming out the way I want. I'm confident of death, of mine and the death of Christ. I'm more confident of life, the resurrection of Christ and his resurrection of me. And I'm most confident of God, the source of life, who makes all things work together for my good. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray from Psalm 106. We praise God and give thanks to the Lord for you are good. Your faithful love endures forever. We can never list all the mighty acts you've done or proclaim all the praise due you. Happiness is found by acting in righteousness and justice at all times, just as you do, God. Remember us, Lord. Show us your favor and bring us your salvation, not just so that we can enjoy it, but so that we can share it with others who need forgiveness. May we never exchange you for anything less confident. Amen. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you have heard. And I'd like to leave you with this blessing. From God the Most High, whose ways are mercy and truth, who leads you to his heavenly throne. May he preserve your life according to his promise, keep you from all harm, and watch over your life.